Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. How are we doing this morning? All right. Well, I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad to be here this morning. I know many of you, you're kind of getting back in the rhythm of school and the fall, and uh, unless you're an Indianapolis Colts fan, today's probably a pretty good day for you, if you have no clue what I mean by that. Their quarterback retired last night at 29 years old. That was a surprise for them. Uh, But again, if you're not a football fan, that doesn't uh, that doesn't matter to you. But what should matter to you is that the Florida Gators won yesterday. And I realized in Florida, if I would have said that, like people would have cheered, like Jesus just came back. But on the West Coast, I, I realized like, y'all don't care about SEC football, which I probably wouldn't either if I, if I grew up on the West Coast. Uh, but I'm sure the Cal Bears will win at least five games this year. So hopefully... Uh, we'll, we'll be able to cheer. You can always point to Aaron Rodgers. You can, there's always a few you can point to. Uh, but, but I am so glad that you're here. If you're new with us, my name is Chris. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we have been enjoying kind of walking through uh, a book of the Bible known as Philippians. And before we finish out our series called Forward, I wanted to just give you a couple uh, announcements, a couple things that are coming up for our gathering Next weekend, I know it's Labor Day weekend, but we have a really special weekend planned. We actually have 13 college students coming from SEC country, Alabama, uh, to spend the weekend with us. And they are going to be taking donuts to businesses all over on Friday and just telling them that CityWalk Church loves them. Uh, they're going to help with uh, some hanging some door hangers this next Saturday uh, around our city. We want to invite you to be a part of that as well. They're going to help with a youth event, a children's event. It's going to be a really good weekend. And so next week when you're here, uh, it, it, invite somebody specifically if you know a young family. Next week's a great time to invite them because we have a really special event for children next week in City Kids. So it's going to be a good weekend. And then another thing that's coming up, if you're a bridge builder, uh, we have a thing coming up called the One Event. It's going to be on September 14th. And if you're a bridge builder, and if you're not, you might be thinking, what? Are we, who builds stuff around here? Okay, y'all set stuff up. What do you mean bridge builder? Well, basically what we do is we, if you volunteer at CityWalk, you're a bridge builder. Because we believe sincerely that people, whether they're greeting people in the, in the parking lot, whether they're serving kids, changing diapers, they are building bridges for people to meet Jesus. And so we have a special event just for bridge builders on September 14th. That is the, the goal of that event is to have a lot of fun together, to encourage you, equip you for this, this year. And so uh, keep your eyes on social media. We'll have more details, but that's September 14th. And the best part about it is we'll have free child care there. So even if you don't like the event, you got two, two hours where you can put your kid in the classroom and, and uh, breathe a little bit. So it's going to be a good day. Uh, well, just, just a couple days ago, 
uh, as we kind of dive back into to Philippians, uh, I was, I don't even remember where I was, but I got, all of a sudden, I got this picture that I think they're going to put up on the screen from a pastor in Las Vegas, uh, a pastor at Hope Church in Las Vegas, a church that this past week had 4,000 people, a church that started in Las Vegas like 17 years ago and has been a huge part in helping churches like us plant on the West Coast. And uh, a guy, one of their pastors, his name's Tom, he sent me this, and he said, Hey, Chris, I want you to know we are praying for your church at Hope Church in Las Vegas. And what they do is they, they pass these out to all of their people that come, and they stop their services, and they pray for the different churches that they've helped plant. And I can remember when, when I got this, his name's Tom, a friend of mine who was a pastor in Orlando and now is in Las Vegas, I remember writing back to him and just saying, Tom, thank you. You don't know how much just sending that picture encourages me. It, it, to him, it was just, hey, send a picture and remind Chris that we're praying for him. But to me, I, I said, man, you don't understand how much that means to know that there are thousands of people in a city that should not care about Yuba City. There's no reason for them to invest their time other than they love what we're doing and they love helping churches be planted in cities all over the West Coast. And they believe in the power of prayer. And it was a tremendous encouragement to me. And maybe in your life, you've had situations like this, where you've gotten a note, maybe from somebody at work, maybe somebody sent you a postcard, maybe somebody dropped you a text, and to them it was just like a really quick message, and they just were, were writing something to you, and, and to them they might not have thought much about it, but to you... It was a huge encouragement. Their one or two sentences really lifted your spirits and encouraged, and, and was encouraged. And maybe you've been on the other side of that where you were the person that God just, you didn't know really why, but God laid on your heart somebody and you just jot, you jotted them a quick text or a note and they came back to you like you had just sent them a million dollars and you're like, man, I just sent you a text. But to them, man, it encouraged them so much. And this letter that Paul wrote that we've been looking at was, I think, similar to that feeling that I got when I got that picture from Tom. This letter that Paul wrote from prison to a church in Philippi that was 800 miles away from him was that type of letter for this church. It was a letter that probably, when they, when they read this letter as a, as a family, as a gathering, this was a letter that meant encouraged them deeply. And it was a letter that as Paul wrote it, he probably didn't even know the extent of how his letter would help this gathering and help gatherings for literally thousands of years. But he, but he wrote this letter and he wrote this letter from a Roman prison almost 2,000 years ago. And when he wrote this letter, he was sitting in a prison, and we've talked about this over the last few weeks. He was sitting in a prison, and, and he was not sure if somebody was going to come in the door and, and take him out, and if this was the end for him. But yet he was sitting in this prison and literally dragging chains across the desk to write a letter of encouragement to this church in Philippi. And, and, and you, if you've been here the last few weeks... You know that Paul sent this letter because he was in prison. He sent this letter. I mean, imagine being this guy. His name was Epaphroditus. And he said, hey, 
could you go ahead and walk 800 miles and deliver this letter to this church? You're like, man, can we just wait a couple thousand years and send an email? Really, an 800-mile journey? But Epaphroditus, he delivered this letter. And then one evening, most likely, they, they gathered probably in somebody's living room, maybe a lady named Lydia's living room, and Epaphroditus opens up this letter and begins to share these thoughts that Paul wrote from prison to these people. And there's a passage in the middle of this letter that we, we looked at, if you were here, about, about three or four weeks ago that was really the foundation to the entire letter and really everything else Paul would say before and after this part. It's, it's found in Philippians chapter 2, and it starts in verse 5. It says this, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, he took the humble position of a slave, and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Paul, when he wrote this letter, and, and he wrote this letter some 30 years after he started his relationship with Jesus, all throughout this letter, here's what you see. You see that Paul never got over grace. He never got over what Jesus had done in his heart. He, he never got over the fact that he was running hard one way. He was running hard trying to earn favor with God. He was running hard trying to eliminate anybody that got in his way. And then he met Jesus and it changed everything. And he never got over that. And as Paul's writing this letter, he's like a parent or a coach who says, you know what? Jesus is so important. Jesus is everything. Jesus empowers. Jesus protects. Jesus saves. And Jesus, he's the, really the, the, what's inside is Jesus and he is what makes everything on the outside happen in Paul's life. And, and as he's writing, he's like a parent who desperately wants his kids to follow the right path. He's like a coach who desperately wants his kids, his team, to, to do these right things, but he can't do it for them. He, he's a parent that says, man, here's the reasons, here's what happened in my life, and, and here's what I want you to do, here's the foundation of it, but he can't do it for them. But in his heart, he desperately wants to see these people that he's writing to know Jesus and become more like him. And so as he writes to them, he, we're at the close of his letter. He closes his letter with some very practical encouragement for them. Some encouragement that, that some steps they needed to take, that some of them would be hard steps. But because of what they had in Jesus, he was calling them to something maybe greater than they expected even in their own life. And he starts Philippians chapter 4 like this. He says this, Therefore... Basically, as a result of everything that I've said about Jesus, therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, 
my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul is he, he's closing down this letter, and, and he doesn't know if, like, this is it. This might be the last communication I ever have this side of eternity with this church. He says this. He says, therefore, and he, he makes clear to these people that, man, I dearly love you. You are my joy and crown. That word crown, is, as Paul was writing it, he imagined the crown that somebody would get, the wreath that somebody would get when they won, like an Olympic game back in that day. They would get this crown. And to Paul... He, his, his greatest joy was to see other people move forward in their walk with Jesus. He said, man, when I, I get so excited, it's my crown, it's my joy when you move forward. And, and, and so he says this, he says, I want you to stand firm. And that word, that, that phrase, stand firm, it's, it's a military term that means, hey, stand your post. And here's what's really cool to what Paul was saying. They didn't need to stand firm to gain victory. They were able to stand firm because of victory that had already happened. They stood firm from victory, not for victory. Paul's saying, man, Jesus has already done it. He, he's already inside of you. He's empowering you. The victory's already won. And so from that place of victory, I want you to know that I, I desperately want to see you stand firm. I want to see you continue in these things that I've talked to you about. See, he's taken his whole letter to basically highlight Jesus and to tell his story of how Jesus changed him. And now he says, because of that victory, stand firm. See, what Paul does over the next few verses is he highlights a few areas that he wanted to see these people that he was writing to take practical steps in he, he wanted them to take some action right now every single NFL team believes they can win the Super Bowl this year like everyone everybody that's following a team like this is the year we've got the team are we at least fake like we have the team? We, we believe, man, we, we desire the Super Bowl. Every kid that started school this week desires good grades this year. Man, man, they, they believe that will probably be the best thing for me. I, I want to have a good year. But, but you and I both know that desire is pretty cheap. Like, like desire comes pretty easy. Everybody has desire. But, but what, what Paul was saying is this, he's saying desire will get us on the road, but decisions determine our destination. Jesus has done something in your life, he, he's, he's, he's set an example for you, he's empowered you to do things, and he's even given you the desire to do it. But you now have to step into something. You have to actually take a step. He actually gives you the power to do it, but he's not going to take the step for you. And so Paul talks about some really practical things. He says this in verse 2. This was probably an awkward moment in the living room when they were reading this. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. So basically he's talking to two ladies that are having a disagreement that are probably in the room while they're reading the letter. So he said, hey, yeah, yeah, y'all need to get together and work this thing out. And they're both like, 
not trying to make eye contact with, with Epaphroditus as he's reading this letter. It was probably a little awkward moment, but, but he says, hey, I want you guys to get, agree with each other. And then he says this, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. See, what Paul was saying is he said, Hey, you ladies, you're, you're having some disagreements, and y'all need to work this thing out a little bit. And, and hey, the other people in the room, Clement, and hey, you know, you, the other companions of mine, you know what I want you to do? I want you to maybe gossip about these ladies while they work this thing out. Or, or no, 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 I, I got it. He says, I want you to maybe distance yourself from these ladies while they try to work this thing out. Maybe look down on them because they can't work out their stuff, and maybe that's what you should do. That's not what Paul says. He says, hey, hey, ladies, I want you to get together, and hey, the rest of you, I want you to step into the mess with them and help them work this out. See, Paul, he's calling these people to unity in their relationships, and a lot of times... I don't know if you're, you're like me, but, but when there's a little bit of a mess, my natural tendency is to get away from the mess. And Paul's saying, I, again, I told you, he's just giving them real practical things based on who they are in Christ and how Christ empowers them. He's saying, hey, you guys that are having issues, get together and work this out. And the rest of you, don't pretend you don't hear that part of the letter. You guys get in this with them and help them Work this out for the good of the gospel and the movement of the glory of God in his kingdom. See, becoming more like Jesus will change our relationship. And sometimes loving someone means instead of avoiding the mess or gossiping about it, following Jesus' example and stepping into the mess and helping make things right. And so Paul he starts this part of the letter. They're probably like, okay, you can keep reading on. Let's keep going. Let's get past this part. But Paul starts at the end of his letter just calling out a couple of people, wanting them desperately to work out this issue. But then he goes on and he says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. There's a guy, Voltaire, he said this, he's an atheist. He said, men are, men are tormented atoms in a bit of a sand devoured by death. A mockery of fate. The world, this theater of pride and wrong, swarms with sick fools who talk about happiness. See, happiness, which is something that, if, if you're honest, you probably said it. I have too. Man, I just hope they're happy. I just want them to be happy. Happiness is really a cheap imitation of what Paul's desire for these people was. Paul says, Here, here's what I want. I want you to have joy in the Lord. And hey, if you didn't catch it the first time, rejoice in the Lord. And, and what Paul's talking about, he's talking about uh, something inside of you that is not determined by people on the outside it's not determined by circumstances on the outside he's saying there's something inside of you that's based on Jesus and what he's done for you that creates a joy inside of you that even when circumstances aren't great you can still have joy oh by the way I'm sitting in prison awaiting death rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice I don't know if anyone's told you this but I'll be the bearer of good news. 
God's goal for us is not happiness. In fact, he loves us too much to make that the goal. His goal for us is not that, hey, we're happy. And you, and you understand, we understand this because at the end of the day, it would make your preschooler really happy to be able to run across the street. That might make them happy, but you're not going to let them do it. It might make them happy to pet a tiger. Like that would be fun probably. Could I go, that, hey, the zoo, I know there's like a thing in front, like a fence, but is there any way I could get over there and let my four-year-old, he just wants to pet the tiger. He'd be so happy. You're like, you're not even going to ask that question because you're not really worried about your kid's happiness. For me, happiness would be like a permanent seat at Brock's. That I could just breakfast, lunch, dinner, go hang out at Brock's and just eat whatever is the new ice cream of the day. That would make me happy. But happy isn't always good for me. And, And here's what Paul's saying. God's goal for you is much bigger than your happiness. He says, I want you to rejoice in the Lord always. I want there to be something inside of you, a spring of joy that's not dependent on circumstances or people or how many likes you got on that picture, but is dependent on whose you are. So that on your best day and on your worst day, you can still have joy. But then he says this. He says, let your reasonableness or gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So so rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And and then he says, let your reasonableness, your, your gentleness be known to all known to everyone because the Lord is at hand. This word reasonableness, the word gentleness is not a word that honestly a lot of people aspire to. Like you're, you're probably not sitting down with your seven-year-old son saying, you know what, we're really going to work on this. Our greatest goal for you is that you be gentle. I mean, you would like them to be gentle, but that's not t- the top of the list. But here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I want you to rejoice in the Lord always, but then I want your reasonableness, your gentleness, I want everybody to be able to see it. And what he means by this is, it's this idea of reasonableness is the disposition that seeks what is best for everyone, not just for yourself. It's the idea of not seeking to retaliate. He says, I want you to have the spirit inside of you that is always seeking what's best for others. That's not seeking to always retaliate. And he says, you know why? Because the Lord is at hand. I miss that. Honestly, I I miss that in scripture until just recently. All right, be gentle, be reasonable. I miss that last phrase. Why should I be gentle? Why should I be reasonable? Why should I not to seek to retaliate and win every war? Is because the Lord's at hand. Jesus is coming back. And so Paul, he's saying, you know what? Is it really worth winning the argument knowing that Jesus could be back any time? Like, is it really worth posting that on Facebook, hoping that you can get somebody to vote your way? Jesus is coming back. Is that really a battle you want to fight? Like, is it really, is it really that important that in the office, like, you win the argument when Jesus is coming back soon? 
Like, isn't there bigger things on the agenda than winning the argument? Can't we just be reasonable because the Lord is at hand? If God's not coming back and this is all we have, then fight. Man, win every battle, win every argument. But man, this is such a small perspective. And Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And oh, by the way, let your gentleness, your reasonableness be known to everybody. Because Jesus is on his way back. And it won't matter if you won the argument. You won't care if you won the argument when Jesus comes back. See, becoming more like Jesus not only change, it changes our attitudes, it changes our relationships. And, and Paul's saying, because of what Jesus has done in you, you your attitude should be different. And remember, these people are in a Roman colony. Their government is, man, it's absurd in a lot of different areas. I mean, the taxes they faced, all the persecution they faced. I mean, it's, a, it's like a cakewalk in America compared to what they were facing. And he's saying, in the midst of that, rejoice. In the midst of that, be reasonable because of what Jesus has done in you. But then he goes on and he says this. And probably in our society today, the next few verses are verses that every single person probably in this room today and every single person in this room throughout the week, students, teachers, deals with. Here's what Paul says. He says, do not be anxious. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart. Like a soldier, it'll guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Remember who's writing this. So this guy that's sitting in prison, awaiting possible execution... It's probably not a real good setting that he's in. Doesn't know when he's going to get out, if he ever will. And he's writing, don't be anxious. Don't don't worry about anything. Instead, I want you to take everything to the Lord in prayer. This this word worry, it's it's the old English, the old English root is the, the word that means to strangle or choke out. And if you struggle with worry, you understand exactly what that means. You understand the the idea that, man, it's almost like someone's choking you when you're you're taken with worry, when you're anxious. It's like, man, like there's ropes around you just holding on to you. Sometimes you can't even breathe. And, and, And Paul's saying, don't be anxious about anything. Don't don't worry about anything, but instead, with everything that comes across your your mind and your heart that you tend to be anxious about, I want you to take that to God in prayer. See, and you know this, and and I know this because we deal with this. Worry and joy can't coexist in our hearts. Like, like we're not walking through life joyful and anxious and worried at the same time. And, And what happens a lot of times is, we begin to worry and we begin to get anxious and literally it feels like the, the hope that we have is strangled out and Paul's saying it's not supposed to be that way. 
See, I wrote this in my notes. Paul doesn't just say stop worrying, but because again, it's, if there's like a, like, okay, yeah, I'll just stop worrying. I would have done that a long time ago if it was that easy. Hey, stop worrying. Okay, I will. No, it's not that easy. And so Paul doesn't just leave us with, hey, just stop worrying. Just grow up and get it together. But, but instead, he emphasizes how to combat worry through prayers and our thinking. He says this. He says, I want you to, hey, if it's, if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. And for some, and I've, I've had this happen where it's almost like, I don't want to bother God with this one, but I can't stop thinking about it. You know, I'll, I'll go to God when the big stuff, when I need like the big help, but, but these little, and it, the little things that are bugging me and worrying me and, and changing my perspective and, and really holding on to me that I think are not that big, God's saying, bring those to me too. Why, why are you sitting around being anxious and worried? I'm telling you, bring those things to me in prayer. And when you come in prayer, you come with a spirit of gratitude and you bring those requests to me. You don't bring those requests to me as like your cosmic genie that, hey, just whenever you have a big issue, you come to me and press a button and hope that I fix it. No, you come to me in relationship because I love you more than anyone could ever love you. I'm for you and I desire what's best for you. And so come to me. Bring what's on your shoulders. Bring what's weighing you down. Bring what's strangling the joy out of you. Bring it to me. And bring it to me not as a list of things you want me to do, but bring it to me from a spirit of gratitude. Remembering all the things I've already done for you because I've already been faithful and I'm not going to run out of faithfulness. So bring it to me. See, when we pray, Paul says this, that the peace of God, this, this unexplainable peace, guards our heart just like the soldiers were guarding Paul as he was writing this. And so Paul says, hey, instead of being anxious, I want you to pray. I, I want you to give those thoughts to God. But then I want to give you some things that you should be thinking about to replace those thoughts. Because sometimes what we do... And there's a, there's a principle in Scripture that you see all throughout Scripture, specifically the New Testament, where when we put off something, it's important that we put on something. And sometimes, especially in churches, man, we're real good at making the list of things you should put off. Like, don't do that, don't watch that, don't look at that on the internet, and kind of get rid of those things out of your life. And, and, and just be disciplined enough to keep those things out of your life. And here's what Paul's saying. You're not disciplined enough to keep those things out of your life. You're not disciplined enough to stop worrying on your own. And so, yeah, take those worries to me, but hey, replace them with something else. And he says this. He says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So Paul says, hey, those worries, bring them to me. Bring them to God. But then I want you to, on purpose, begin to think about things that are true, honorable, just, 
pure, lovely, commendable, things that build up, things that are excellent. See, sometimes we, we do the opposite of that and we wonder why we're always worrying. Like, what we do is we, we put things in our lives sometimes that are, are putting thoughts in us that are totally opposite of what he's saying to think on. And we wonder, like, why am I struggling with my thinking? Why am I worried all the time? Why am I constantly anxious? God, come on, take this away from me. But yet, all around us, we're surrounding ourselves many times with things that are putting things into our mind that are the opposite of this. And so Paul's saying, you know what? This is not, you have to on purpose do this. Jesus gives you the power, but you have to do it on purpose. You, you have to have times in your life where you begin to think one way and you say, no, 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 I'm not going to think that way. I'm going to give that to God and I'm going to begin on purpose to think about things that are true. I'm going to begin on purpose to think about things that are pure. Begin to think on things that are excellent. It doesn't happen by accident. See, becoming more like Jesus will change how we think. And Paul goes on and he says this, and I love this. He says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You say, Paul, you're, that's a pretty bold statement to basically say, follow me. And in the church world, we've gotten this one wrong a lot. I mean, we've had people and they've gotten on TV or they've come, you know, come in churches and like, hey, follow me and I'm the guy or I'm the lady, you know, I'm the, just do what I do and oh, by the way, give some money on the way too and, and that's kind of, and, and people watch these people and all of a sudden they fall and then they're like, oh wow, you, you can't really trust anybody. And here's what Paul's saying. He's not saying, hey, I'm perfect. I've got it all together. In fact, he's just said a few verses earlier, hey, I'm still pressing for the mark. I'm still striving. I'm still working. I, I don't have it all together. But hey, here, here's, what I, here's what I am doing. I'm humbly trying to do the things that I'm telling you to do. I'm dependent on God. I'm having to begin to think about things that are true and lovely and commendable because you know what? I probably struggle with worry too as I'm sitting in prison. And so the things that you've watched me the things that I've taught you, do those things. And if you'll, you'll do those things, then your relationship with God, you'll have peace. It's, it's why we need each other so bad. There's people in this room right now that are an example to me in, in areas of their life. There's people in this room that I've told my wife, I need to spend more time with that person because, man, it really helps me grow when I'm with that person. Does that person have everything together? No. But you know what? There's some things that I can learn from a lot of different people. There's some examples that I can learn from. There's some things that I need to be teachable in. And so uh, we're not expecting people to be perfect, but man, we need each other. And Paul's saying, hey, you, you can follow my example. I'm in this with you. Not perfect, but you can follow my example. What, what, what a privilege that would be to, to be able to Bring somebody in and say, hey, I don't have it all together, but you can follow me because I'm going to follow Jesus. And we don't put the pressure on that person like they're God, but man, we're, we're looking for an example. 
And so what Paul does is he is coming to the close of this letter. Remember what I said? He's very getting real practical with these people. He's trying to help them with their thinking, with their relationships, because he really believes that a relationship with Jesus affects those things. And then he, he closes his letter, and he closes his letter by thanking them, and he, he shares probably one of the most known passages in all of Scripture, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you've heard part of this. You've seen this verse on a boxer's like belt. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. You've seen it on posters, and this is where it comes from. And a lot of times we, we take what Paul said and we take it out of context. Well, here's, here's, here's what he says, and he says it as he's closing out his letter to these people in Philippians. He says this, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you didn't have opportunity. Not that, I've, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul's saying, hey... Uh, you guys, you, you, you thought of me when I was in prison. You remembered my need. You, you sent to me. You, you sent gifts to me. You've sent to encourage me. And, and he says this, I, I want you to know that, man, I have, over the years, I've, over the years, I've went to the pantry and there's been nothing. Over the years, I've went and there's been food abundant. And here's what I've learned. Whatever state I am to be content I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul wasn't saying, like, I can beat the boxer across from me in the ring. That's the verse I use. No, he's saying, I can be content because of Christ in me. I can be content because of what Jesus has done in me. I can be content laying in a roach motel. I can be content in a prison. I can be content in a penthouse. I can be content because my contentment isn't based on what's on the outside, but what's on the inside strengthening me. And he says, so thank you so much for your gift. It was such a blessing to me, but here's what you need to know. Whether you sent it or not, I'm so thankful you did, but no matter what, I'm content because of who's inside of me. And he strengthens me. And then he finishes the letter. He says this, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Like when this started, nobody believed in me. But you guys did. Nobody wanted to help. Everybody wants to help now because we got all these churches started and things are great even when I'm in prison. Man, yeah, there's other churches that have gotten involved, but man, nobody got involved in the beginning, but you guys did. And I want to thank you for that. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And here, this is such a spiritual guy. He says, you know what? You, you sent, you helped. And you know why I'm happy? I'm not happy because the offering plate is full this week. 
I'm happy because of what generosity has done in your heart. I'm happy for you because I know, yeah, I appreciate the gift, appreciate how you've sacrificed, but at the end of the day, I know when you're generous, it does something in your heart, and so I'm so happy for you that God's doing that in your heart. And, and then he closes up, he says, I, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent me, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And then he says another verse that's taken out of context quite a bit. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's another one of those pillows, or the, the verses that's put on a pillow or a coffee cup. Hey, God will supply your needs. God, and God, Yeah, of course he will, but it's in the context of a church that made a sacrifice for Paul when no one else was and was generous when they were even in need. And here's what Paul says, God noticed that. And God will supply every need you have. You've been generous. You made sacrifices. You, you gave even when you probably had need. And, and because of that, God, your sacrifice was not unnoticed. And God will supply every need you have. And then he says this, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. And then this verse. Look at this verse. This is an incredible verse that we overlook a lot. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Here's what Paul's saying. I'm in Rome. I've always wanted to go to Rome, Paul. I've always wanted to get the gospel to Rome. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, uh, another letter that Paul wrote, he said this, these, these words that, that have been in history said over and over again. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And here's what Paul's saying as he's closing this letter. Normally he closes his letters by just basically saying hi to people and hey, so-and-so greet you and give so-and-so a kiss for me and all these things. He's kind of saying all these little last words. But to, this time he says this, hey, oh, by the way, people in Caesar's household you know Caesar like the most important person in the world those people say hi you know why because they're followers of Jesus now and so imagine imagine being Paul and I mean he's in prison and even while he's in prison the gospel has went into the hallways of the most powerful man in the world and the gospel has changed people's lives because of Jesus and now Paul's saying oh by the way some folks in Caesar's household they say hi to and I love that Paul just ended it that way oh oh yeah oh by the way some folks in Caesar's house they know Jesus now and they say hi and for Paul, I think it was one of those moments where he was just reminded, you know what, this is worth it. Man, the gospel changes people's lives, and is this whole prison thing, this is worth it because today there's people, even in Caesar's household, that the gospel has changed. It was worth it. If you've been tracking over the past few weeks, 
We've been in this letter, and, and you've heard Paul's testimony throughout this thing, how Paul was just crazy against Jesus and how Jesus totally changed him and how basically, and as, as I said earlier, Paul never got over what Jesus had done in his life. Simply put, he was captivated by Jesus. He never got over grace. If you're here and you're a follower of Christ, I want to ask you a couple questions as we close. And, and these questions, I want you to be honest with yourself inside with these questions and and here's the first one have you gotten over grace like like was grace cool when you first accepted jesus and you're you know it's a it's a cool thing and we talk a lot about it but but do you take it for granted is it does it captivate you still that that one day you were moving in the opposite direction of God you had no desire for God there wasn't anything in you that was good enough for God and God because he loved you literally turned you around made you alive on the inside gave you the desire to want him and he did that because he was just gracious have you gotten over that maybe this question Did Jesus once captivate you? And today he's kind of become that cosmic genie. That when, you know, everything hits the fan, you call him. You want him to help. Did did he once captivate you and maybe not so much anymore? And and, and if it's not Jesus, what captivates you? What holds your attention? Like, Like what holds your attention throughout the week? Because here's what we know. We move in the direction of the object we are captivated by. We always move in the direction of the object that has and holds our attention. And for most of us, it's that little device that we call a phone. It's the thing that holds our, it's the thing that tells us if we're beautiful. It's the thing that tells us if we're worth anything. It's the thing that tells us if, if what we're saying is the right thing. It's the thing that tells us if people love us. It's the thing, it tells us all the, it's the thing that tells us what we're supposed to wear and not to wear. And if we're honest, we're so captivated by our devices. And because of our devices, we, man, we're, we're so all in. And it literally is the thing that calls the shots for our life. And what Paul was saying is, you know what? I don't care where I'm at. I don't care what setting I'm in. I'm captivated by Jesus. He's the thing that holds my attention. What would change in your life this week if Jesus captivated you? If Jesus was the thing that held your attention above all else this week, what would be different? I know it would be different because Paul talked about it in his letter. Our thinking would be different. What we pursue would be different. Our contentment would be different. Our relationships would be different. Our attitude, our impact, and the list goes on. And so as we close, if there's something inside of you that's pulling you to take steps forward to be more like Jesus, if, if hearing from Paul in this letter, if there's something inside of you that says, yes, that's what I want, Then let me give you a few things as we close. First one. These are like so simple. And these are so things that you're going to be like, oh, wow, that wasn't very impressive. Here's what they are. Spend time with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. You want to know the second thing? Spend time 
with other people that look like Jesus. And then follow their example. Because here's what I know. And this is talking to me too. This thing's looking right at me telling me to do the same things that I'm telling you that you should do. When I spend time with Jesus, when I spend time with other people that look like Jesus, I start to act like Jesus. I start to be compassionate like Jesus. I start to be content. I start to be, and and you can fill in the blank of what Jesus looks like. But when I'm captivated by what you think of me, or when I'm captivated with what the world says, or what I'm captivated with what the the latest thing on Instagram is, or what's the the next thing, when that has my attention, I stop looking like Jesus pretty quick. And so this thing, it's not super complicated. If I spend time with Jesus, if I spend time with people that look like Jesus, and I seek to follow their example, I impact people around me. I talk to the person at Starbucks because I'm, I care about their soul. I'm not, I don't get angry at the person that cuts me off, at least not that angry. Because there's something different. And I'm just guessing that if you this week decided, you know what, I'm going to set my phone down a little bit. I might actually do something really ridiculous and take Facebook and Instagram off my phone. Crazy, I know. I just have this feeling that, you know what might happen? I might worry less this week. I might be more like Jesus if I spent more time with him. I just, I, I just think that might happen. And so let, let's close just our time together, and we just want to pray. And I just want to pray for all of us, because I, I have a feeling there's some folks in here, and if you're, if you're somebody that's not a follower of Jesus, and then this may intrigue you, and, and I'd love to talk with you afterwards. But for those of us that are followers of Jesus and that really desire to impact our world and really do desire to look more like Jesus, I'm going to pray for us that this week we will make decisions that will help us be captivated by Jesus and not by things that will not be worth anything in just a few years. Lord, I I pray for each one of us. I pray for myself. I pray for my friends in this room. That, Lord, deep inside of us, we desire to live a life that brings glory to you. Lord, we desire to live a life that impacts people that are around us. We desire to live a life that leaves a legacy for people that we love dearly. And, God, we understand that we're not capable of doing that on our own. Like we will mess it up every single time. And God, I pray as, as the Apostle Paul did, Lord, as, as he spent time with you and even in the worst of circumstances was concerned about others, he looked like you, he reached people even in prison. God, I pray this week that we would spend time with you, that we would be captivated by you, God, I pray that we would have conversations with real people that look like you this week, that we would make it a point to spend time with people who follow you. And Lord, I I believe that as we do that, that we will have a heart for our community, we will have a heart for the nations that maybe we don't even have today.
And so, God, we're asking that you would do a work in us. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.